name is James. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you so much, Arlene, for asking me to do this. It's a privilege. I love Overeaters Anonymous, and I love the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Just to get uh, to address the elephant in the room, I'm uh, one of these strange people. My sponsor insists that I dress up when I speak uh, out of respect for a program that's saving my life. Michael. Um, which is fine. I'm fine with that, that because that's the primary purpose. My secondary purpose and, and my real purpose is that, of course, I look damn fine in a suit. <laughs> uh, so I have a uh, sponsor. His name is Michael. He's the one who was uh, seen sprinting to his car when they called my name. And um, I have a home group. It's called it's Light a Candle. It meets on, at 5.30 on Saturdays in uh, Brentwood. You're all welcome. And I have a uh, abstinent date, which is May 11th of 2016. Um, those are important things to me today. And uh, I'm very thankful to be here. Um, people always say that in my groups, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. And when I was new, I was thinking, like, you're not grateful to be here. You're nervous to be up at the podium. That's what's going on right now. You're not grateful. But, you know, I have certain things that I am very grateful for today. One is my family. I just got back from... Uh, um, from Omaha, Nebraska, where I sort of had my family Thanksgiving, and that can be a dangerous time for a guy like me if you eat like me and if you have a family like me. Um, I once pointed out to my father that there were no vegetables on his plate, and uh, he said, "He said, what are you talking about? I have vegetables." And I said, "I don't where where are they?" And he and he pointed a little closer, and it was the parsley. <laughs> so that's sort of how my family eats. Uh, they're classic Midwesterners. You know, but I'm grateful to have them in, our, in my life. You know, the 12 steps is described in the first 164 pages of Alcoholics Anonymous gave me my family back. Um, so it's, you know, that's wonderful. I also, I'm grateful to have a, a host of friends today. You know, I, I'm a little sad, actually. My, my friend Charlie left. Uh, he's my best friend. I lived with him for a while and uh, I've known him for years. He left for Seattle to take care of his father. And, uh, a little sad uh, whenever that happens. I've had it a couple times in recovery, and every time that happens, someone moves away, I feel like the adventure is cut a little short. That's how I feel, and that's how I kind of feel right now. But um, he and I made a commitment to go and eat dinner together one last time before he left, and uh, after our meeting, and we went, we went, and I took him to Whole Foods, and then I took him home for a little bit, and then we went to Mel's in Santa Monica. And it was just supposed to be a private thing between him and me. And he walked in, and there were 50 people, 50 people who just screamed surprise to him. And we had a big book, and, uh, you know, 150 people signed it. And it's so that he could go wherever he goes in the world, he'll always have us with him. Right? So I'm grateful to have a host of friends and people like that in my life. And, you know, if you're new, you probably don't relate to that very much. I know I didn't when I was new. I didn't have any of those things. I never had that experience. Um, the idea of having a clear head and a calm stomach was very, uh, very alien to me. I had never, I had never had it before, before the twelve steps. Um, but I know when I leave here today that I'm going to have that, which is a far cry from what I usually have on Thanksgiving, which is a big head and acid reflux. Um, so. Maybe if you're new, I can offer my perspective on that. You know, perhaps it's a little different. 
um, for me, what I like to keep in mind, and I don't always have this perspective, but it's when I'm close to reality, right? Because by my by my nature, I'm 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 totally I have, I'm totally unaware of what's actually going on in my life, right? I'm anesthetizing with food. And what's actually going on in my life is that I just happen to be born out of a hundred centuries, in the half a century when there is a solution to my hopeless state of mind and body. How lucky is that? How lucky is that, that I, I just happen to be born at a time when there's a solution for me and my particular sickness. You know, that's not true of ALS, that's not true of Parkinson's disease, that's not true of a lot of other maladies. So those people, they live and they have useful lives and, and happy lives, but there's no real solution for them like there is for me today. But it's more than that. It's more than that because I'm also in the one or two percent of people who ever come across this and are presented it as a solution to my problem. Because not everybody comes in here. Not everybody who needs this program ever comes across it, which is why 12-step work is so important. Things like the podcast and, and what we do here. And um, so I'm, I've won the lottery already. But it, it's even more than that because I also live in a city where there's a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous just about every time of day that I can always find a solution somewhere. I can always be among my people and I don't know any, any other city in the world like that. So I'm very blessed. I, I feel very blessed. Um, and that's the reality, although I am often unaware of it. So complaining is sort of <laughs> not something my sponsor allows me to do a whole lot of. Um, if you're new, I, there was one question on my mind when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, which is, what the hell is overeating? Overeating, compulsive overeating. I had no idea. I really didn't know what compulsive overeating was. It seemed like it was uh, a slew of things that people just like sort of combined together and like made a 12-step program out of it. Um, you know, there's anorexia, bulimia, and, and you know, it's a little easier for me because I have everything. I literally have everything. I, I, I'm an anorexic bulimic. I'm a food addict. I'm orthorexic. I... I I have all sorts of problems with working out, you know. So it was sort of e a little easier, relatively easier for me to identify um, because I just have everything. I'm just a little extra sick. Um, you know, for, for me, I can offer you my perspective on that. I think it'd be useful what compulsive overeating is in my experience. And for me, it's sort of a set of superpowers. Um, I'll give you an example. I have, uh, I have the ability to become resentful at anything, really anything at all, including and not limited to inanimate objects, abstract concepts, and family pets. So I also have this other phenomenon. I just realized this today. I can be sitting in a car, and I, I'll be driving in traffic, and it'll come to a stop, and I'll wait there for an unreasonably long, large amount of time. And I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's causing the traffic. But in my heart, I know someone somewhere is doing something stupid. Right? Now, I, I don't know this person exists. It's a hypothetical person that I'm resentful at. And I, I've come to call this Schrodinger's resentment. Because, um, yeah, it's, but it's, other, it's more than that. It's more than that. It's more than just uh, that superpower. It's also I have this incredible ability to leap huge, huge truths about myself in a single bound. Right? And I can be at a, at a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous and I can look across the room and I can see two people and they're laughing. They're having a good time. And I don't know how I know, but I just know in my heart that they, 
they're gossiping about me. <laughs> and they're saying not good things about me. So my sponsor doesn't think they're, uh, they're superpowers, but I feel like they're superpowers. Um, they seem like superpowers to me. Um, his sort of, his sponsorship style limits those, he's sort of like my arch nemesis. He limits my superpowers. He uses kryptonite like, uh, you know, common sense. Um, but there's other, there's one other thing that really is a superpower. It really is a superpower. And it's reserved to a certain class of eater. And this superpower is that when I eat food, I have this strange abnormal reaction. And for a very small amount of time, it resolves all the emotional conflicts in my life. And this really is a superpower. It solves every problem for a very brief period of time. Imagine what people in you know, Yemen or Syria or North Korea would do just to have every problem in their life solved for a little bit. They'd probably give everything. But I have that superpower. But there's a problem because what I didn't know when I, when I was started eating, I, I didn't realize that ending emotional conflicts, learning to resolve emotional conflicts is how people become adults. It's how they mature, right? And I have no, I didn't know that. I didn't know what I was doing. And I don't have any, I, I, I don't have to do that. I don't have to grow into an adult when I'm young because I have this tool. I have this superpower that just solves every problem the moment I, I experience it. And all I have to, I, I can do it all day long if I want to. You know, I can just, I can eat, start eating in the morning and go to the end. I just, I just never feel my feelings. I, I always have this resolution, right? So I have this problem, you know, I have the superpower, but I have the problem that comes from it, which is that I never grow into an adult. And all my peers are growing up around me. And I, uh, I feel like I'm being left behind and I'm having dreams that I'm, I'm left back. You know, I'm, I'm a super senior in, uh, or a super, super senior in high school. You know, and I, I don't know why I'm having those dreams, but I have this, just this sense that I'm not, I'm not growing. I'm not doing what I, everyone else is doing with their lives. That's how I felt. Um, and it's because of eating, and I don't know it's because of eating. Um, and it continues. You know, from that one abnormal reaction comes an abnormal relationship. And that abnormal reaction, it happens so often in my life, by the time I come into Overeaters Anonymous, it's like background radiation. I have no, no idea what it's doing. I, I, I can't tell when I eat that there's something abnormal going on. What happened for me is I had to take a look at my eating on a daily basis in abstinence to really identify that, that abnormal reaction. But from that abnormal reaction comes all these other weird, this weird stuff. So if I have this strange thing, I overeat. I have, I have some bread, I have some sugar, and I tend to overdo it. And from that, I'll, I'll start using other tools because I don't have a spiritual program of any kind to, to, to have a solution. So what I'll start doing is I'll start starving myself to sort of balance out, right? So I overeat, well, then I won't eat a little bit. The problem is when I don't eat for a while, I get really hungry and then I overeat again and it cycles into overeating, starving myself, which is anorexia. So in order to compensate for that problem, I add more problems, which is I will overeat and then I'll throw up a little bit and then I'll starve myself and but then I'll binge and then you know purge and then starve myself again and then from there goes I, I, I start trying to eat extra healthy and then I'll start exercising in weird ways just like randomly exercising way too much and people will be way, really confused as to why I'm doing it I'm so obsessed with it right now and so all these other problems stem from this one little abnormal reaction to food 
you know. When I came in over to use Anonymous, I was, ma I was given a task. I was given two tasks, really. I was tasked with making a diagnosis. I, I, I had to make a diagnosis of my problem. For me, all recovery stems from identification. For me, I need to identify as a compulsive overeater if I want to do anything a compulsive overeater needs to do to stay t sober eating. That's, that's what I, I have to do that. Because if, if I'm not a compulsive overeater, I'm different from you. I'm special. I'm unique. And I don't need to do the things that you need to do in order to recover. So for me, everything starts with a diagnosis. It's why we talk so much about eating. And what I did is I listened with my heart and on my head. Because that's what I was told to do by a sponsor. And I listened to the way people talked about how they felt when they weren't eating. Their relationship with reality. And I... I listened to the way they felt when they ate food. And I made this diagnosis in my heart, which welded my butt to a seat in Overeaters Anonymous. It, the idea that I can eat like a normal person must be smashed. It must be smashed if I want to stay here. Because if there's any semblance that I am different from you, I will not stay. Because I, I just, it was like a speaker earlier said, man, I just have this sense that there's something different about me that I don't belong, that I don't fit in. And if I don't fit in here, there's no way I'm gonna recover here. So everything starts with a diagnosis for me. And I made this diagnosis, but then the second task I, I'm, I'm, I'm asked to make here is to grow into an adult, because that's my problem. At the root of it, I am a child. I never grew into an adult. And what happened is that I started to have a conversation with a sponsor. Right? And he seemed to me like an adult. If you're looking, if you're new and you're looking for a good reason for a sponsor, uh, if you're looking how to choose a sponsor, here's my recommendation. It was told to me, choose someone who has what you want. But what, what I want is I want a Ferrari. I want beautiful women all the time. I want people to always agree with me and to tell me how amazing I am. And I want to uh, eat and not have any consequences. That's what I want. And it turns out that is a god-awful reason to choose a sponsor. <laughs> so what I would recommend is this. I recommend choose someone who is an adult. Because that's what this is all about for me. Right? I asked a guy who was 60 years recovered once, why does, it, why does a person with a spiritual malady need to become an adult? And he said to me, you don't have to, but you're not going to be very comfortable in reality. And for me, that's so true. That's exactly my experience. When I act like a child, I experience this, this discomfort, this sense of restless, irritable discontent. The world doesn't like when a grown man throws a temper tantrum. He, they just don't like it. And for me, when I had this conversation with my sponsor, he began to point out certain things about my characteristics, the principles on which I live, which are selfish and self-centered. I make every decision in my life based on fear. That's what I do. It's not, I'm not self-flatulating. Not, I'm not insulting myself. It's just, for whatever reason, the only type of relationship that I develop by nature is one where I, where I take from you and give as little in return as possible. That's the only type of relationship that I knew prior to coming to this fellowship. It's the only one. And for me, that's a big problem. Because a child needs to act selfish and self-centered. They need to. They need to make sure that they're taken care of. And sometimes they have parents maybe that can't take care of them. As a child steals food and I catch them, 
I, I'm going to pay for their groceries. Like if they can't, if you know, clearly there's something going on there. I'm going. I, I should probably find out. There's. I my heart goes out to a, a child that needs to, uh, to, to steal food. When I steal food as a grown man, and then I tell the officer, I, I'm sorry, my mommy can't pay for food. It. I get a very different reaction. A very different reaction. You know. But that's the way that I was living. I was throwing temper tantrums as a 24 year old man, right? And I don't know what's wrong with me. If I knew I would change it, but I have no ability to change it because I don't know what the problem is. And so I have a sponsor. And what his, what his purpose in my life is, is managing three things. My childishness, but really that's my immaturity, my oversensitivity, and my grandiosity. Those are my three things that put me into conflict with every person I meet in my life. Those are the things. And I call him on a daily basis, and I have found that I can engage in two different types of sponsorship. What I can engage in is reactive sponsorship. That's where, hey, sponsor, I've burned my life to the ground. Can you help me clean this up, please? And then he says, no, come back to me you know, when you want to actually be sponsored. And then there's this other type, which is active sponsorship. And that's, hey, sponsor, I'm thinking about burning my life to the ground. What do you think about that? And then he tells me, you shouldn't burn your life to the ground. I think you should do something else. And then I burn my life to the ground anyway a lot of the time. But it's just how it is. So for me, I'm tasked with being an adult. And I have no ability to do that. Right? So I need God's help. I need God's help to change me, which is why I need a relationship with a higher power. But for me, it's all about, it's all about sponsorship. You know? It's all about being actively sponsored, letting another person know what's going on in my life. And what happened for me is I started to get honest about the way that I was eating and the way that I was living my life. And I, all my life, I had this sense of, of hopeless loneliness intense, intense loneliness. And as I was honest with another person, what I didn't know is that I had secrets and I had been lying. I had been such an intense liar my whole life that no one really knew me. I was completely cut off from the rest of humanity because no one really saw into what was going on. And as I was honest, that lifted from me. As I was honest with the sponsor, honest with my home group, that lifted from me. And what I found is this, this sense of intense loneliness vanished. That I was surrounded by a group of people who loved me that I had never been aware of before. I can be in a group of people, like my family. They love me unconditionally for who I am. I have a great family. They love me unconditionally. And I can feel more, at, more a part of humanity eating alone in my basement than with those people because no one really knows me. And as I was honest about what was going on in my life, that loneliness vanished. And as I related to his problem, I became, became willing to take his solution, to work the 12 steps. And my life changed. And my relationship with food changed. What has happened for me is that I've had slow, uh, a very slow recovery, right? A very, very slow recovery. And as I have worked the 12 steps, slowly, sanity has been restored to my eating. I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. And for me, what it comes down to is the difference between an adult and a child is a child is selfish and self-centered. That's my problem. And my sponsor made it clear to me, James, if you don't go from being a taker to being a giver, you will never recover. And for me, on a daily basis, what I have to do is stuff to get out of myself. I have to place your problems before my problems. And what, I, what happens when I do that is I experience a reality that is previously totally unavailable to me. And it turns out that there are more than one ways 
to view, uh, to view reality. That my way, I had to be willing to admit that occasionally I am wrong. And when I, when I realized that, when I became willing to admit that I was wrong, the world opened up. I became aware that people love me. They're on my side. That think good things are going to happen, that I'm charismatic and that I love my body. That's what I, how I feel today. I have a sense of self-esteem. So thank you again for Arlene and thank you all for my life.